Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast, a Canadian real estate podcast that shows you how to pay off your mortgage sooner and live well while doing it. Now, here's your host, Sean Cooper. Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. I'm Sean Cooper, and it's great to be back for another episode. On today's show, I'll be talking to Martin Dasco. Martin is a 30-year-old dude that loves personal finance, making money, and getting the most out of life. He's a real estate investor and landlord. He writes Studentomics, a DIY personal finance blog in Canada. The site is unique because Martin drives the content. He writes from his own perspective using personal pronouns and anecdotes from his own life experience. In my interview with Martin, we discuss dealing with debt, creative ways to save for a down payment, and renting out your own place on Airbnb. Without further ado, here's my interview with Martin Dasco. Hi Martin, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Sean. How about you? Looking forward to an interesting podcast discussion on real estate investing. I hope so. Okay, great. Let's get started. Besides being a personal finance blogger, you're also a real estate investor. Can you tell us about how you became involved in real estate? I started off really early. I mean, I may look kind of stupid or I kind of like I don't care, but (laughs) when I was like uh, 15, 16, uh, do you remember Canadian Tire? Yes, I do. Well, it's still around. So yes. I got a job at Canadian Tire, right? Yeah, I was working there. And then my, my buddy's dad had to work there. And he was like in his 60s. And he was working at Canadian Tire with us. So that seems kind of useless. But it kind of motivated me. Because I'm like, wow. Like, I don't want to be working like late in my life, you know? Exactly. So then somehow that got me thinking about like investment, investments and investing. And uh, I shouldn't admit this, but I first read Donald Trump's book. He started talking about real estate. <laughs> <laughs> I know he's not a popular guy right now. We won't, I won't get political, but I, yeah. So I read Donald Trump's book about investing, and then I started reading other books about investing money. But then I realized that I, I couldn't afford a condo, right? <laughs> I couldn't afford anything. You know, I had these crazy ideas how like I should own my own building, I should do this and that, but it was pretty expensive. So then I found a loophole. I, I don't know if you know about this, but like, you can buy pre-construction condos in, in Canada. I'm not sure how big this is across the world. It sounds like a good idea. I mean, that's typically how people invest in real estate these days. So were you just buying the properties to kind of flip them or were you purchasing them to rent them out to tenants? I heard about pre-construction condos. So then I said, okay, like I, I should get into this. So I, I don't, I'm not, I don't really adv- advise this, but I didn't really have the money. <laughs> but, but with the pre-construction condo, you get the time. You get, like they tell you in six months, you have to give 5% in and in a six months from that, another 5%. And it just goes on like that, right? Yes. I was lucky. This is 2010 and I managed to save up enough money from working odd jobs and stuff. And one of my best friends from college ended up becoming a, a bank manager. <laughs> so that kind of helped. He kind of you know, helped me with the process. And then I bought my first pre-construction condo and it wasn't as smooth as I thought it would be. Like it, it was a long journey. But then luckily enough, the place went up a lot in value and I ended up making some money when I finally did sell that. But I wasn't sure if I was going to rent or flip, if that makes sense. 
Sure. So I guess you ended up renting at least one of your properties in the end. I, I lived there for, for a year and then I rented it out and I went, I went on a bunch of trips and then like the economy really went up. As you know, in Toronto, it got really, it got really hectic for a bit there. So the, all the, all the properties went up and then I, just for fun, I, I'm like, I'm like, I should try to sell this. And I put it up for sale and I got like, I made over a hundred thousand dollars on that first property. Wow. And I was like, wow, this is like, this is amazing. Like this, this is awesome. So I sold it. I took the money and I, then I went and I just decided to buy more properties after that. Wow. How many properties have you bought to date? I've only bought three actually. So this whole real estate thing has been a roller coaster ride too, because you uh, we were always hearing in the news how, Oh, there's a crash coming. Real estate's the best investment. Real estate's the worst investment. Real estate's unaffordable. Like the stories are just, they're so polarizing. So I've only bought I've only bought three properties in my life. Long story short, all downtown Toronto. That's great. As they say, it's location, location, location. It really is. I mean, I talk to people sometimes and they're like, Oh, I can get a good deal, but it's an hour and a half away from the city. And it's like, okay, I mean, is that worth it to you? Like, is your time not worth like that saving the money on that drive? Like I personally couldn't drive an hour each way to get into the city for work, you know? Exactly. And that kind of leads us into my next question. You're also a landlord. Tell us about your experience. What tips can you offer for those looking to follow in your footsteps? Okay. So being a landlord is a, it's pretty, it can be fun. It can also be challenging. I actually have some challenges right now. My tips begin before you even buy the property. So let's say you're thinking about buying a rental property and you know, you have a, you have your heart set on an area. I want you to do the research first because you don't want to buy the property and then realize that nobody wants to live there or that it's tough to find good tenants, you know? Yeah, that's not fun. I would say probably close to transit. Are there any other tips you have? Yeah, yeah. So, so what I would do is I would go on Kijiji myself and reverse engineer the process. So pretend that you're trying to rent a place in that area. So every time I, before I bought the place, I've gone on Kijiji and all, you know, all the other whatever uh, view it or whatever sites you can find for property rentals. And I pretend that I'm trying to rent the property out. So I'll, I'll go through the motions. I'll email, I'll email the landlords. I'll ask them questions. And I'll get a vibe for the area. And I'll look at the prices. Because let's, let's say you go on Kijiji and you see that a one-bedroom condo on Dufferin and Queen is going for, for $1,500. Chances are that you can get $1,500, right? <laughs> so then you have to run the numbers. You have to see how much, how much are you putting down. Are you putting down 20%? Are you putting down more or less? How much are the maintenance fees, which you really have to know? How much are the property taxes, which you should, you should know too? And then you do the math and you say, okay, if I get this condo at Queen and Dufferin, I can make $1,500 every month. Is that worth it? You got to tally up the numbers. You, you can't just walk into this blindly. And then th that should give you a, an idea for just, just if it's even worth buying that property. And then once you buy the property, then the fun begins. So with my last rental, I actually purchased it. And this is very interesting. I did, it, I did an experiment because you know how Toronto is like the real estate is really hot right now. Yes. I didn't even have the keys yet. <laughs> like I was in the process of buying the place. Like I was, it was like, fi it was finalized. I just didn't have the keys. So I went outside of the property. I took a picture of the condo, like the, of the building. And then I put a pic just took a picture of the outside of the unit because it's, it's a ground floor unit. I, I could send you the ad. I put up an ad at Kijiji. It was a terrible ad. <laughs> I said condo in Fort York. That's, a, that's the area of Toronto. For rent, like $1,600. This building includes a pool, includes this and that. And I just wanted to see if anybody would, would, would bite. Because I did the research before because I saw that area was really booming. So I put this ad up and the people were coming from all angles. I was getting so many emails. I had so many viewing set up. And there was just one problem. I didn't have the keys yet, right? I asked you. 
which was fine. I got the keys and I had a bunch of viewings. As a wannabe landlord, make sure you get a property that people actually want to live in. Like let's say, oh, you get a deal on a house up in the suburbs and you buy it and then you can't find a tenant. Like what did, like, you know, what did you accomplish, right? Like now you're stuck with the house and now you have to pay the mortgage and, and the property taxes. And then once you get the property and you, and you put up an ad, like I would start off with Kijiji or just something basic. The easiest thing you can do is just see what, what other properties are going for because you've already done the research. So see what the other properties are offering and just kind of steal their ad, you know, like not, not word for word, but you know, take similar pictures, Put up similar information, you know, in your ad. Say, uh, looking for a young professional or no pets or whatever, like whatever you want. They put that in your ad, and and then you start screening. And when it comes time to screening, well, ideally you're getting candidates. So hopefully you're getting people. Because if you have no candidates, then that really sucks. But let's say you get five, six people. Then then the, then it's really fun. Then you actually have options. So the screening, I was actually lucky because the first time I, I rented out a, the very first time going back to like 2011. The guy actually showed up to the viewing with his papers filled out, like all the, the tenant forms. Wow. I'm like, okay, this is amazing because I didn't have the forms. <laughs> so then I saw the form. It was just a standard form. So I just Googled tenant form. You could probably do this like for any city, tenant application, Winnipeg, or tenant application, wherever you are. So luckily the person came to the, uh, with those forms. And these forms are just basic. You want to know like, that they're working and uh, where they work and if they have any references. And you, want to, you kind of want all that, that basic information. You want to know what, why they're moving there, if they have a job. It's kind of important they have a job because like, they have to pay the rent somehow, right? Yes. <laughs> and then, I mean, some people, they go above and beyond. They start calling references. But like references, it's usually like, you know, it's usually like their best friend, right? <laughs> like, or something crazy like that. So, so if you want to, you know, call the references, call their boss maybe because you want to make sure that they really are working where they say they're working. And you might want to talk to the last landlord because, you know, you want to go over these questions. You want to just go over, like, you know, their basic information just to make sure that, like, that, that, they, are, that they are what they say they are. And then, and then it's on you. Then you have to decide. And this is where it gets tricky. You have to decide which person you want. And then that's, there's no right or wrong answer. I mean, uh, do you want a couple? Do you want someone that works close? Do you want someone with a perfect credit rating or credit score? Uh, do you want someone that makes more money? And that, that's on you. You have to decide which tenant you want for, for that property. I guess you just have to be careful. And I've learned this from being a landlord in terms of screening tenants. You have to be careful what you say to the tenants that don't end up getting the place because you certainly don't want to discriminate or say you chose somebody because you're looking for a couple or you don't want a family living in your place because you can certainly get in trouble with that. But yeah, I mean, that that's some Oh yeah, that's for sure. Advice. In trouble. Yeah, sorry. I meant that like that's what you're thinking in your head probably, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't don't let the tenants know that. Yeah, don't make an official announcement. I don't want you because I don't like your boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> but that actually is an important thing though. Um, so I had a couple come to a viewing that uh, like, are you both going to be on the lease? And they said no. So that was, I thought that was a bit strange because if you're a couple, shouldn't you both be on the lease? Yeah, I mean, um, it's funny. I had uh, a couple go to my ha house for viewing and they didn't even know each other's last name. So it told me that they were a new couple and I didn't really know how long the relationship might last. So I decided against letting those people rent my place. So definitely you kind of have to be a bit like a detective from Law and Order and kind of read through what you see and try to interpret it because you certainly want a long-term tenant who's going to take good care of your property, not somebody yeah. who's going to move in and never pay the rent and do a ton of damage and have a laundry list of complaints. 
And that's that's the thing. I've I've been burned, but uh, in your internal mind, in your internal process, uh, decision making here, you have to think about these things. Like if it's a new couple, chances are like it might not work out. Like and why are they moving in so fast? You have to remember it's your property. If you if you have a four hundred thousand dollar home, you're trusting somebody with this property. Then, like let's say they damage something, what are you gonna do? Take them small claims? What? And then you find out they have no money. So you can you can win in small claims court, but then you can't even collect the money. And then when, when you do uh, deny them, you know, have a standard email ready. Be like, unfortunately, we've chosen somebody else. And yeah, it's on you. You have, you have to really think about this stuff because I, I just, I'm going through a, an annoying process right now. And it's, 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 it's tough getting someone out of your property. You know, someone cannot pay for a few months and get away with it. But on the flip side, getting the perfect tenant is, is oh, it's a blessing. Like my, one of my first tenants was a, it was a young lady and her father came and he was a professor at the University of Toronto. And he was paying her rent. So like it was, it was pretty smooth. Like he would pay the rent. It was coming out of his account. And like, he didn't even know how it worked. Like he'd pay me like two weeks in advance sometimes. I'm like, uh, it's not even like the first, why are you paying me so early? He was so smooth because he had the money, right? And he was just wanted, I guess he wanted his daughter out of the house. That's a funny story. Oh, actually it's funny. It gets even funnier because then I guess they must've had a falling out because then she had to pay the rent at one point. And then like, <laughs> She didn't know how to do it. Like she didn't know how to like the wire money, and she was like confused about it. I had to, I had to like I had to coach her on how to how to send money. I guess and as long as the rent's paid at the end of the day, that's all that matters to you as a landlord. Yeah, it really is a lot of times, and you want someone that's not going to bother you or you know bother the neighbors. Great. So some millennials are choosing to rent instead of buy. They're discouraged by the high home prices in big cities like Toronto and Vancouver. Why shouldn't younger folks give up on the dream of home ownership? And why is real estate still a good long-term investment in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, it, it seems expensive. Uh, well, it is expensive right now, actually. But as, as a young professional, I mean, it's, it's just going to take our generation a bit longer, I find. And like, we, our problem is that we look, we look to our parents and like, like my parents, they're immigrants, but they bought a house in Etobicoke. And now that house is worth a lot of money. So it's easy to get discouraged and be like, oh man, I can never afford a house. Like I... And I mean, yes, it's, it's going to take you longer. It won't be as easy as it was for your parents, but you could still, you could still get it done. You might just have to uh, wait a little bit longer. You might have to get creative. For example, uh, one thing you might have to do is buy a property and, and, and let a friend move in or, or, or rent out a spare bedroom or put an Airbnb on the weekends or something, you know? It's still, it's still possible to buy a home. And, and I mean, it's not the best investment for everybody because obviously if the rent is a lot cheaper than the mortgage and you might, you might be better off renting for a few years. I don't think you should give up in the long run. I mean, you should still be trying to, you know, save money and, you know, work on your credit score and keep, you know, keep up good terms with your employer because you, you can still buy property one day. And we kind of touched on it, but saving up a down payment for a home can seem like a daunting task, especially when you're in debt. Do you have any tips for getting out of debt and getting your finances in order, as well as saving that money for the down payment for a property that you eventually like to buy probably a condo in Toronto or Vancouver. Yeah. So I think it's important to, first of all, figure out where you are right now. So like, I'm not, I'm not big on budgeting. I mean, you're not, I'm not, I, I don't have like meticulous records of everything, but you have to really figure out where you are. So let's say you want to buy a condo for $300,000 and you want to put down a uh, 20%, which is 60,000 and you're in debt 20,000. So that, that, that means that you need $80,000. So once you know the numbers, you have to work backwards. So you have to ask yourself, how, how can I get there? So then you look at your job and are, are you making enough money? And if you're making like 30, 40 grand a year, that, that might not even be possible. So you have to be very realistic at, at this stage. So you have to see where you are and compare that to where you want to be. You might have to take a, take a few steps back. You might have to upgrade your skills. 
this doesn't sound so attractive, but you might have, like, I, I know you did this. You may have to work a part-time job, work on your weekends. Because a, a lot of this stuff is just basic numbers. So you have to find a way to make more money to pay down that debt. And then once you know that you want that 60 grand for a condo, you have to do everything to make it possible. So that, that's where you, you get creative. You know, instead of going out every weekend, you might get a second job. You might drive for Uber. And believe me, I know this isn't fun. Like I've, I've gone through this. You've gone through this. It's really crappy in the process because like you obviously want to be out on a Saturday. You don't want to be at work, but you're in debt and you have to face the reality. You have to pay this debt off. So you have to find a way to, to make that extra money. You know, you, you could be driving for Uber. You could be selling your stuff on the side. You could start a blog or some sort of a side hustle. Just make the, make the numbers work, you know, put everything towards your debt and just uh, until you pay out that debt, off, that debt off. And then you have to uh, start saving up for that mortgage, for that mortgage down payment. Like one of my, one of my good friends, he became a reader and he wanted to buy a property. He had a little bit of debt and he, and he wanted to save up and I, I worked with him and he upgraded his skills. So at his job, he was working at, at, on the front line and his, they offered a training. So he took some free training and he moved into management. So, the, so his income went up and then with that new income, uh, with that new skill, he actually got a second job in management on the weekends. So, I mean, there's, there's no secret hack here. He just, he just worked, worked at it for a, for a year or two, you know, paid off the debt, saved up. And then that, the beauty about this whole process is that you're able to like research. So as you're saving up and paying off your debt, you can look into properties. When I was saving up, I spent those, those years just researching. I was looking at where to buy properties, what kind of properties to buy, how to be a landlord. Like I was just reading every day because then when you are ready, that then you, you know what to do and you can make, you can make a move, you can buy a property and then you can rent it out or you can live in it. That's great advice. And I read a blog post written by you that mentioned that you had driven as an Uber driver. Could you perhaps tell us about that experience? That's something that I've always wanted to try myself, but I've never got around to doing it. Did you actually make money in the end? Was it worth the time and expense of driving your vehicle around? Oh, that's a tough question. I'm going to have to say it wasn't worth it for me. Like for myself, I hate driving. I like people, but I hate dealing with drunks and dealing with traffic. Like, like driving around the cities, it's a pain, you know? Like, you get stuck at the lights or the people cancel on you. Or I remember I picked up this couple and, and they were drinking. Like, you obviously can't drink in my car. That's a fine, you know? And they got mad at me and left me a bad rating. So, like, that bad rating impacts my, like, standing with Uber. I'm like, what did I do wrong? I told somebody I couldn't drink a beer in my car. <laughs> I, I think it's, it's, it's a good side hustle because it's so popular right now because Uber invested so much money into the marketing. So when they first came to Toronto, I told myself, I'm like, I'm always late to, to new technology. You know, like I'm always the last one to get Netflix, last one to, to get on you know, Instagram. So when Uber came, I'm like, I'll be the first one. So I went down to the information session and I signed up. And I mean, it was, it was it's exciting because <laughs> like, it sounds really silly, but like you get into your car and you're like, yeah, I'm a driver. <laughs> Like you put on this app and you're making money. Like, yeah, I'm making money. It's free money. This is awesome. I'm just driving around getting paid. Full disclosure, I did it for, for my blog. I just wanted to do a big story on it. I, I originally included the numbers, but then Uber eventually went after me for that. Oh, wow. <laughs> I guess they didn't like it. The numbers weren't that good. So here's the thing. With Uber, you only get paid when you're driving. So let's say you pick up a job and it's 10 minutes away. You're not, you're not getting paid on that, on that 10 minutes. And then they take, I believe, 20%. Sometimes they take 25%. So they, they take 20%. And at the end of the day, it's like, I said it was strange because I didn't think it was worth it. Cause like you have to bring your car, like you're bringing your car to work, right? Like, first of all, what if you love your car? It's kind of, you know, you're, you're trusting strangers in your car and then your fuel and your, and your wear and tear, like it's a lot of wear and tear. 
And then the taxes, I mean, the money is not that big. But the weird thing is, I know people that they swear by it. Like I have friends at the gym that drive full time. I guess there's a way to make it work. Like if, if you get like a average car, but it's funny because Uber wants you to have like a good car. It's like people want to get picked up in a Ferrari. Like, like dude, relax. You're paying $3 to get, to get down the street. <laughs> I'm not getting you in a Ferrari. <laughs> there, there's a thing called surging. So like you get paid more because it's a busier time. So if you do surging, you have like a system, you can make some good money off it. I wouldn't recommend quitting your job to go driving for Uber. It is yeah. a fun experiment and you can make some money on the side though. Yeah, maybe just drive after there's a sports game like in Toronto, a Maple Leafs game, and you can take advantage of the surge pricing. Yeah, like one time I was, I was actually at, at my mom's house. I was home and my mom asked me if I could pick up something downtown. So like, obviously you can't say no to your mom, right? <laughs> but it's also a hassle to get from Etobicoke to Toronto. It's like 20, 25 minutes. So I, put, I turned on my Uber app. I'm like, let's see if I can get to Toronto with, without losing money, <laughs> with getting paid. It took me three jobs, but I got downtown. So like I got paid to go pick up my mom's prescription and then I, I got a ride from Toronto to Milton. That's like pretty far, right? It's like half an hour to 40 mm -hmm. minutes. So like it's, it's the only job where you can turn on and off as you please. So if you want to like stay in one Saturday and make some money, yeah, that it could work for you. But if you're thinking that, oh, you're going to get rich doing this, that, that won't happen. Yeah. I think it's just kind of a good side hustle to do once or twice a week. Yeah. And you can, you know, you can have fun on a Saturday night driving around, getting paid, meeting people. It's, as long as they don't puke in your car. Yes, that is. Yes, drunk people are the worst. <laughs> and you don't realize how bad drunk people smell. And yeah, and they're annoying. And like, it's the last thing you need is like someone yelling at you. You're like, dude, I'm taking you home at two in the morning. Do you have to yell at me? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And then they can leave you the bad review. So great. Speaking of the sharing economy, you wrote an interesting post about renting out your place on Airbnb. Can you tell us about the experience? Yeah, so this is something I got very lucky with, actually. Once again, I, uh, you know, I tried Uber. I'm like, this is cool. And I was making plans with somebody, with, with a friend. And she wanted to, she goes, we should get a, a, a kitchen. Like, it was, this, this, this is plans out of town. And she wanted to get a kitchen. I'm like, what do you mean a kitchen? She goes, we should, we should be able to cook. I'm like, what are you talking about? So she told me about, like, Airbnb, where you can, like, rent somebody's home. I thought that was the weirdest thing. Like, you can rent somebody's home. Like, what am I going to do in someone's home? So long story short, everybody knows what Airbnb is now, but back a couple of years ago, it was just so weird. Like you're renting somebody's kitchen or their home or their, <laughs> or their like spare room. So I'm like, okay, this is interesting. I'm like, one day I got to try this. My condo got delayed, by the way. So pre-construction, you get a lot of delays. So I got delayed like, like forever, right? And then and, and in this process, my dad had a heart attack. Like, so he's fine now, but he, he wasn't doing too well. And I wanted to travel. So I said to myself, why don't I rent out my condo because it's downtown Toronto on Airbnb just, just to see what happens. So once again, I did what I normally do. I stole. <laughs> I went on Airbnb. I pretended I wanted to rent a condo on, on Queen West. And I just saw what they did. So I just took similar pictures. It's usually just like a picture of the view and what's around and like the kitchen. And like, like you just need basic photos just so people see what they're getting into. But people love view photos. And luckily, I got a view of the lake, kind of. And so, mm -hmm. so I, I took a bunch of pictures. I posted, I posted this thing on Airbnb. And it took off. So I was getting emails like crazy. And then... If there's one thing I know is uh, people usually rent Airbnbs to party. So like, <laughs> most, most of the people were like, yeah, me and my six buddies are coming to Toronto for the night. I'm like, hell no. I don't want six of my buddies over. I'm going to let six random people over. I know it's going to happen. Come back and your place is going to be trashed. Yeah. So then I kind of held out. I'm like, this is like, this is like, I was kind of nervous about the whole thing. Cause like it's a stranger coming into your home. Right. 
So okay, I'll keep in mind I fully furnished it with the intention of, of Airbnb being it and, and of living in it, obviously. So I didn't want like a brand new couch to get ruins. I started getting nervous. But then I realized there's a lot of people looking for lo- like I don't want to say long term, but like maybe like a month or like semi long term. I don't know what you would call that. <laughs> like people need like a place to stay. People come to Toronto for work. So I found this one this one company that sent people to Toronto for work and they wanted to send them here. It kind of worked out. So these young ladies were working for a company and they wanted up like a, they needed a place to stay. So it's, hotels are too expensive, I, I guess. Or, the, or I guess it's not really feasible to send someone to a hotel to live for a month. So it turned out that this company was sending people and they, they, they reached out to me, like what well, the, the, like the females did, like the, the tenants. And they just asked to stay and I looked into it. And the beauty about Airbnb is obviously you, you can choose to uh, question your people, which I recommend doing. If you're just getting started, always screen everybody because like you don't want someone trashing your place. So I screened them and they wanted a place to, to work out of. So it, was, it, was, it worked out really well. They stayed for two weeks and then they extended the stay. I forget, I forget what it was, but like they stayed like five, six weeks or something. And I made really good money. I was charging $170 a night. Wow. And like I said, I got very lucky. I mean, it could obviously go the other way where you rent it out and you know someone crashes your place or they party too hard. But yeah, I think Airbnb is something very interesting. And I mean, if you buy a place and times are tough or you, you really want to be an investor, but you don't have all the money, you can always rent out your spare bedroom, put it on Airbnb and just rent it out on the weekends. You can, you know, or let's say your parents live close by, you can go home for the weekends and rent out your place. So I, I got lucky that like, they, I had people that wanted to stay here. And then what happened was my building bandit. <laughs> my, oh, my building bandit. That always so, happens. Yeah, so it's weird. So my, the building I live in, it's fully banned Airbnb. A lot of places hate like short-term, like nightly rentals. But the condo that I, my rental, they work with Airbnb. It was on the news. It's like Toronto's first Airbnb condo. So it's oh, important sorry. to know whether it's legal or not. And then you have it, to decide whether you want to take the risk or not. Yeah, definitely. And you shouldn't buy a property with the intention of just renting it out on Airbnb because what happened to you where it was allowed and then suddenly it was disallowed by the condo board that could happen to you. And if you're depending on that cash flow to pay your mortgage, then you can run into a serious financial crunch. And I was just kind of, it was a weird, it was a unique situation. Like I had to stay at home for just to help out at home. So like, and I was traveling. So I didn't mind not having my place. Like, yeah, if, if you're, if you're solely relying on Airbnb, it could be tough, but I mean, there's people that, that now buy properties just for Airbnb and it, it could work, right? Who, who am I to say? But it, it, I, th- I think a good, a good way to make it work is if you rent out like a spare bedroom or like a basement or something. Like I, I know a guy that rents out his basement at Airbnb like, and like, he does not need them. Like he obviously, we all need the money, but it's not like he's not, he doesn't need help with the mortgage, but he said it brings in extra cash. So like, let's say like if he goes a month without getting any tenants, he's fine. But if he gets, you know, a tenant here, a tenant there, it, it helps out. It helps out. And then, uh, yeah, that, that's money you could put towards your mortgage or towards a down payment on another property. Yeah, certainly. I think buying a property with the sole intention of renting out on Airbnb might not be a wise decision because cities are really cracking down on it. And if it's allowed right now, then it's probably going to be banned in the future. But if you have a spare bedroom or you're going away on vacation, might as well rent out your place and pay for some of that vacation. Yeah, that's that's the amazing thing about Airbnb. It's like Uber. You can just turn it on and off. Like I, I had to turn it off because it became illegal. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess obviously I'm kind of stuck, but I mean, if, if there was a case where I could rent it out, I mean, when I travel, I could easily rent it out. And it's people that do that when they travel, they fund their trips with their, with their own home. This is actually becoming more popular. Like you could, if, if it's allowed, you could, you can go on a trip and fund that trip just by renting out the place that you live in, which is pretty amazing. I think. Yeah. I've had a friend who does that. And whenever she goes on a trip, she rents out her place and pays for a big portion of it. So might as well go wow. on a trip and, 
pay for most of your trip. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah that is very cool. <laughs> so great, Martin, it's been wonderful to have you on the show today. Before I let you go, is there anything of interest that you're working on that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, you can just follow me on studenomics, uh, studenomics.com or on Twitter, Instagram. It's the same handle everywhere. I won't get too heavy into the plug. Just follow me and I'll keep you updated on what's going on. Okay, great. Thanks so much for being on the show, Martin. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Burn Your Mortgage podcast. Besides being a podcast host and money coach, I'm also a licensed mortgage broker. If you or anyone you know, family, friends, coworkers, or neighbors could ever use any unbiased mortgage advice or a second opinion, feel free to reach out. You can reach me by email at seancooperwriter at gmail.com or you can call or text me at 647-867-3711. Also, be sure to head on over to www.seancooperwriter.com and sign up for my free weekly newsletter. As a small token of my appreciation, you'll be able to download my ultimate mortgage checklist on choosing the perfect mortgage. You can also sign up for a free one-on-one 15-minute money coaching consultation with yours truly. I look forward to hearing from you and helping you burn your mortgage sooner too. Once again, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating. Until next time, happy mortgage burnings.